Hello and thanks for tuning in. This is the radio ministry of Grace Community Church in Jefferson City, Missouri. Please open up your Bibles and join us. Here's Pastor Dennis Helton. Well, uh, Christ is betrothed to the church. That's us. He's betrothed to us. And he wants his bride to be pure and spotless when he comes back. Of course, that's what he's doing now, isn't he? He's making us more and more pure as he gives us test. But a bridegroom is jealous for his bride. And uh, God is a jealous God. And we spoke about that last week, about God being jealous. He hates to see his own people leave him to worship something else, to have idols. Of course, uh, where we're at in this world, uh, we are in the midst of idolatry constantly. And matter of fact, we know that um, we are idol makers ourselves. Uh, his heart breaks when he sees his um, children committed uh, adultery with false religious ideas and other things that uh, go against who he is. He is a God who is jealous, and that's what we dealt with last week. Um, Paul has the same spirit of jealousy that God has. Uh, that's what we will see in our text today. And I think blessed is a congregation such as at uh, Corinth or at any church where there is a pastor teacher who would also say the same thing. I'm jealous for you. I'm jealous for you with a godly jealousy. That's what Paul says. I promised you to one husband and we want you pure as the time will be that uh, you are presented to him. So Paul sees himself as presenting that church at Corinth to the bridegroom, Jesus Christ. And that picture, it's a beautiful picture, isn't it? It's because he was a spiritual father of the Corinthians. He's the one that came in there and preached the gospel. And uh, so he has a responsibility being a spiritual father to these spiritual children in, in that way. Um, He's responsible from the very betrothal at the very beginning all the way up to the consummation. There's a betrothal in a wedding or a marriage and then there is the wedding ceremony that we think of itself. You know, it's a one-day thing here, but then it would be days long and there would finally come the consummation. Actually, their betrothal period would be as... Uh, maybe the length of a year, you know, something like uh, our engagements. And we know whenever Christ comes back, that will be the consummation. We'll have the wedding supper of the Lamb. The church will be presented as a pure virgin to her groom. That's the thought. Now, that's a beautiful illustration that we have um, here uh, in this text in chapter 11. Um, we looked at it last week in verse 2 and we talked about um, the betrothal, the, the wedding, 
the whole idea behind that. And of course, it's easy for us to understand because we all have experienced that. If you, if you're married, you definitely know, and you've seen others get married. And if you're not married and never have been married, you still understand that picture so well. So many people get married, right? Uh, anyway, then comes verse three. And Paul says, I am afraid, and that's where we are going to begin today. I am afraid uh, something now is threatening the people in Corinth of their purity. And so after we studied last week about that betrothal period, uh, we see that Paul is relating this in the spiritual way. There are other suitors that are on the scene for this bride-to-be. And they're seeking to lure her away, or the Corinthians, them away from the very word of God. The very aspect here is the very heart of the matter of the text. Matter of fact, one commentator wrote, this is the very heart of the matter of the whole book of Corinthians. Paul is so concerned about the church at Corinth that they could be uh, led astray, that they could be seduced, seduced very easily. Uh, Paul's fear is not unfounded here. It's not like he's just kind of making this up or you know he's got some reasons why and they're wrong. Uh, Shepherd is always aware that some of the flock can go astray. And that is what he's so fearful of, so concerned. And let me tell you, pastors know exactly what that means. And it's a constant thing. It's a constant thing on the heart, and um, you know, it's a, it's it's a it's a constant um, heartbreaking thing, knowing that people are susceptible, that they're vulnerable to seduction of the enemy. He is the one who betrothed them to Christ. Paul betrothed them them to Christ, and he wanted to be able to. Make sure that they come with purity uh, to Christ when Christ comes back. He knows about deception. Deception uh, can take away purity. Deception will do it if somebody is deceived. Satan is trying to get Christians away from the Word of God into the sinking sand of human personalities and experiences and all the different things that go with that. So he does that by deceiving people, by things that sound right, that sound so good, that feel so good. It just seems right. And that's what Satan does. He is the master of deception. He is the deceiver. He is the father of all lies, as Jesus called him that. Eve being deceived by the crafty serpent is the classic story that we find in Genesis 3. And this is how man fell as Eve was deceived and then Adam in his disobedience uh, fell by that deception from Satan to Eve. Satan is so good at that. This is for all of us this morning. It's just not for one or two of us, but we constantly are being battled by the enemy that we can be deceived. So let's grab our Bibles. Let's hear what God has to say about this. In um, 2 Corinthians chapter 11, we'll be doing verses 3 and 4. I'm going to start at verse 2. If you uh, you want to stand 
For I am jealous for you with a godly jealousy, for I betroth you to one husband, so that to Christ I might present you as a pure virgin. But I am afraid that, as the serpent deceived Eve by his craftiness, your minds will be led astray from the simplicity and purity of devotion to Christ. For if one comes and preaches another Jesus, whom we have not preached, or you receive a different spirit, which you have not received, or a different gospel, which you have not accepted, you bear this beautifully. Father, we thank you for your word. Uh, this is truth. We bow down to you. You are our Lord. You are our master. Lord, you can keep us from the master of deception. We always want to follow your orders and your commands, for they are always right. Help us, Lord. Fill us with your spirit as we try to understand your word a little bit further so that we can know you. This is what eternal life is, Lord, as you encourage us, you instruct us, you command us, you give us illustrations, all sorts of different ways so that we would be able to live a life that would be pure and that re reflect the very person of Christ for when he comes back, we desire to be pure. In Jesus' name, amen. So we are uh, going to be talking about deception. We're going to be talking about we are devoted to Christ. If you're a Christian, you're devoted to Him. But your devotion is tested. Your devotion is tested every day. How devoted are you to Christ and His Word? And His Word, His truth. Verse 3, but I am afraid, is what he starts off with. And this is a fear, fear of seduction. Paul is fearful. He's afraid. And you usually don't think of Paul being that way, do you? But uh, it's, it's in a more modern vernacular, it's, he's very concerned. Uh, it's not that he is in a, in a phobia and uh, he's letting fear overtake him, but he knows that the Corinthians can be deceived just like Eve was in the garden. He's going to go all the way back to Genesis and draw from there uh, a story that most would know. Uh, so he operated out of fear, but it's very reasonable that uh, he does because he knows their vulnerability to being seduced. This is the attitude of pastoral care, as I said. That is one that, if you're a pastor, you can't help but uh, realize that's what it is. Uh, you go down to verse 28, uh, find out it's a, it's a daily thing. And so true it is. Apart from, he talks about all the external things. Now, this is the same chapter that that we're in now, uh, but he will give a lot of physical things. And then he comes with this in verse 28. Apart from such external things, there is the daily pressure on me of concern for all the churches, all the people in all the churches, not only Corinth, but all the other churches where he had started and taught them. So it's constantly on his mind about how it's going there. That's the heart of a shepherd. Shepherd uh, has to take care of his sheep because the sheep always have a sense that they might go astray. And that, uh, that is so uh, easily to be understood when you look at that uh, analogy of the, of the sheep. So there's a, a defection of the church. There's the 
waywardness of the church, there is the disloyalty that church people can have. That's, that concerns them, concerns them deeply. So he's going to draw from Genesis 3. I'm afraid that as the serpent deceived Eve, the serpent, of course that story most people would be able to go right to where that's at. Not very hard. They say, well, I know it's in Genesis. I'm not so sure if it's the second chapter, third chapter. That's Genesis 3. What is hinted at is that you have a snake here that's described as a, a dragon, serpent here in our Corinthian passage. That serpent of old called the devil and Satan, if you turn to Revelation chapter 12, verse 9, And the great dragon was thrown down, the serpent of old, who is called the devil, and Satan, who deceives the whole world. There we have him called the serpent. He's called the dragon. He's called the devil. He's called Satan. I think we know who this is, right? And as Paul um, brings that forth, he calls it the serpent here in verse 3. So he has names. All those names tell really who he is and what he does. So if we um, think of that text there in our Revelation 12, we can also think of later on in Revelation in chapter 20 and in verse 2. And he laid hold of that dragon, the serpent of old, who is the devil, and Satan. He stayed right consistent with who he had, he had mentioned earlier, because in many places we'll see him mentioned as a dragon, sometimes a serpent, sometimes a devil, sometimes Satan, and bound him for a thousand years. So that is uh, who that serpent is. Our Lord himself refers to the devil as a liar. And he is a murderer from the very beginning. He's the one who brought, really was responsible for death as this thing happened here. And we know that in the New Testament we see him possessing people, don't we? And the oppression that he caused at that time when Christ was walking here on earth, people were being possessed. We know about the herd of pigs, even animals were possessed. And, of course, that story uh, that uh, is related to what we're seeing in Genesis 3 is that the devil is an invisible spirit. He was the part of the good angels who worshipped God. He decided to come to Eve in the form of a snake. And he talks to her very rationally. She can understand this snake. This word serpent actually is related to a, another word, a bronze in Hebrew. It's very closely related. So there's something more than just an old snake. I mean, this is a, a magnificent looking serpent here. And uh, we can see that there he stands before Eve. He's the objective, personal embodiment of evil. Evil was staring right at her face. She had no idea. 
she didn't know what she was walking into. If we look at uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 2, verses 10 and 11. One whom you forgive anything, I forgive also. For indeed, what I have forgiven, if I forgiven anything, I did it for your sakes in the presence of Christ, so that no advantage would be taken of us by Satan, for we are not ignorant of his, what? Schemes. There it is, um, that he's talking to the Corinthians there, and uh, this is a chapter that we've covered before don't want him taking advantage because he will certainly see holes in it and use his schemes. That's how the devil works. He loves to get at God's people, doesn't he? Has he ever gotten at you? Probably has. Before we became Christians, this is what he did. In whose case, this 2 Corinthians 4, 4, in whose case the God of this world, there he's called another kind of a title, a name, the God of this world has blinded the minds of the unbelieving. Why? So that they might not see the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ who is the image of God. He is darkness, isn't he? Blinds the mind of the unbelieving. Before we knew Christ, it's what he did. He didn't want us to see the glorious truth of Jesus Christ, that gospel. Oh, the master of deception. And then in, in our chapter that we're dealing with today in 2 Corinthians 11, later on in verse 14 and 15, for no wonder, for even Satan disguises himself as an angel of light. Therefore, it is not surprising if his servants also disguise themselves as servants of righteousness, whose end will be according to their deeds. So there uh, is an angel of light. There are angels of light probably all around. That is immense. Quite a, an amazing thought. We war not against flesh and blood, right? It's a horrible battle. We stand no chance at all by ourselves. It's only in Christ himself, his armor on. So it's termed as, uh, in our Second Corinthians passage, crafty. Serpent is crafty. Panergia, ergia, ergon, ergon, work. Uh, pan is all. The idea here is capable of all work. When you take it literally, he's cunning, and so somehow this works into ability that he has to resort to trickery, to cunningness, to, to being sly. That if people don't have the wisdom of God, they'll be taken. Taken by him. Very cunning. And that's how the New Testament uses that word. In the case of the Corinthians here, the deception of the, this craftiness is corrupting, isn't it? It's a corrupting kind. The word deception there is a compound verb. And, of course, deceive, we dealing with trickery and slyness there. And 
It means to be utterly deceived. Not just deceived a little bit. Utterly deceived. That's what happened to Eve. So what we want to do is turn back to Genesis 3. Look at this. We call it an illustration, but it's really more than an illustration. This is a story. It's not just a story. It is true. This really did happen. This is how it all started. This is why we have sin. This is why we have death. This is why we have hell. And all the way on through, all the, the terrible things that happen on this earth, it started right here with our first parents. Eve got deceived in the Garden of Eden. And so, um, I'm going to just read a few verses there. Genesis 3, 1. Now the serpent was more crafty, and that's the word that Paul uh, used, than any beast of the field which the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, Indeed has God said, You shall not eat from any tree of the garden. Has God said that? The woman said to the serpent, from the fruit of the trees of the garden we may eat. But from the fruit of the tree which is in the middle of the garden, God has said, You shall not eat from it or touch it or you will die. Serpent said to the woman, You surely will not die. God knows that in that day you eat from it, your eyes will be open. And you will be like God, knowing good and evil. When the woman saw that the tree was good for food, that it was a delight to the eyes, and the tree was desirable to make one wise, she took from its fruit and ate. She gave also to her husband with her, and he ate. This is an account of what happened. We know that God, God made man. Man sins. Sin is entered into the human race. Death comes into the world, comes into my world, comes into your world. Affected everybody. And so therefore in Hebrews it says it is appointed for man to die once and then comes the judgment. There was not death before this, by the way. This is the first death of any. And we're told by that in, in Romans. So this is telling us in Genesis how all this occurred. Satan was crafty, came to Eve, appearing before her as a serpent, not like a lion, not like the king of the jungle. Doesn't really scare in that way, although, you know, you, you think of a roaring lion and we think of snakes. <laughs> and hey, there's fear either way, right? Uh, but for some reason, he came uh, looking like an angel of light. We don't see her scared. We don't see her running. Maybe she would have feared if she would have seen a horrible beast in front of her coming close to her. Uh, but here, like I say, the Hebrew word for snake is closely related to bronze, a very striking kind of a beast this serpent is. It's fascinating. I think it's a, probably a glittering kind of creature that would draw your eyes to look at it a little deeper. Then he starts talking very smoothly, you can imagine. 
So he picks on Eve and doesn't pick on Adam. And the reason is, is Adam's not there. Because if Adam was there, he would have been deceived too. You'll see most of your commentators will go along with that. There will be some that say, you see, Adam was right there because you read in the text there that Adam was with her. Well, he was with her whenever she gave him that fruit. There was a time of temptation, but there was a time when she did the act. It doesn't say it had to be that very moment that Satan tempted her. Uh, she might have given some thought. At any rate, he can't be there because he was not deceived. The reason I say that is we look in 1 Timothy chapter 2. We have a lot about the cunningness of, of our enemy. It's good to study our enemy sometimes to know who we're up against Verse 13, speaking about uh, the, the text, there is men and women in the church and how God um, makes, he has created them differently. They have different roles that they play uh, and they're, they're different in the church. There's leadership in the church and it is man who has the authority and not women. Uh, and that is not to say that men are better than women uh, matter of fact, women sometimes put men to shame in all that they do in the present day church. So that's none of that, but we're saying there's an authority of preaching and teaching the word that uh, Paul speaks about in Timothy here. And he gives a reason for that. Some people would say, well, the culture has changed and we're in different times. No, he goes right back to Genesis and right in our text where we're at today. For it was Adam who was first created and then Eve. There's the order. And it was not Adam who was deceived, but the woman being deceived fell into transgression. She's the one who was there first. Satan got her alone. That's what he loves to do. He loves to get us alone. We start thinking about things we get alone, and guess what? We are now vulnerable to let Satan uh, work on us. Whenever I say alone, you say, well, that means we can't ever be alone. I'm not saying that, because there's a lot of times we're alone, right? There are times where it is very appropriate to be alone, and alone in prayer with the Lord, alone in the Word of God and such, where you're thinking on the right things. But um, we see here that... Um, he can take advantage of her as he, he isolates her. Her husband is her headship. Uh, he is the very protection for her. That's what God designed all along there. And I, I will say, I don't believe at all she was overtly, purposely trying to rebel against God. She was not looking to do that. She did not want to rebel against God. Matter of fact, she's going back and taking the very word of God that he said. She added on a little bit to it, but you know what 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 he said here. She was she keeps in mind. She knew what God said. Uh, so this fashion that's done with Satan is a, is a model seduction. And this is really how how he works. It's a, it's a perfect example. So there are two things that uh, deals with this that we can get out of it this morning as we look at Genesis 3. And uh, here's how it is. In, in our Genesis 3, 2, somehow it comes upon her. Uh, it's in 3, 1, I'm sorry. 
And he said to the woman, Indeed, has God said, You shall not eat from any tree of the garden. Sounds close, but that's not really it, is it? He's asking this question, and this is how cunning he is. He doesn't come in there and start bombarding her where she would distrust him right off the bat. He gets a conversation going where he can go in to the next question and starts getting her stumped. She, she gets deceived. But if he comes in there blasting away, she goes, ooh, I've got to get out of here, get away. But it's like, did, did God say you should not eat from any tree in the garden? You can't eat of any of these trees? Did God say that? And so, you know, he starts getting a little doubt going around as far as God's goodness. But it'll lead to, to another one. Right now, as she answers, it doesn't look like she really has doubt. But, you know, he says, indeed, as, as God said, you should not eat from any tree of the garden. Clearly, God had said, you shall not eat from what? One tree of the garden, the knowledge of good and evil, right? Clearly, God had said that. We have no doubt about that. God made that very clear. And you know what? Satan knew that God said that. So why does he come up with this question? He just wants to bring it up as kind of unclear. It's kind of cloudy here, you know? First thing you want to do if you're trying to get people to doubt is to cast doubt upon truth. That's what all false teaching does. Cast a little doubt on some truth, but it starts out very gentle. And, she, you know, she can come back and correct him a little bit. He was suggesting here, uh, kind of like, was, I, I believe it would be very surprising to hear what God was alleged to have said. In other words, he hints at a little dash of, of meanness here. God is not as kind as uh, you, you think. He would restrict Adam and Eve from partaking of any of the fruit, any of the trees there in the garden. He didn't start out attacking the character of God in a real visible way something that she would pick up immediately. Because each day, you know, she, Adam and Eve, is like they, they walked with God. I mean, he had his presence known to them. How that was, I don't know. But I do know that she had to be amazed at their creator. And so she was encouraged by this great creator, God. She knew the answer to this question. So she is not disturbed by it and she doesn't run away here but the devil did make a conversation now possible it's now started and it's like she kind of like says no you don't have it quite right we can eat of any tree in the garden except one that's that's how she replies back right woman said to the serpent in verse 2, from the fruit of the trees of the garden we may eat. But from the fruit of the tree which is in the middle of the garden, God has said, you shall not eat from it or touch it. You shall die. That's how she replies back. Well, she's, she's correct. I didn't say touch it. Maybe Adam was emphasizing the fact, don't even go near it. Don't don't eat it. Don't even touch it. Don't even pull it off. Don't don't you know, and that's what she took with that. 
which yeah, is pretty good advice, right? If, if it's something that she'll die, well, I'd rather not even, I don't even get close to it. So what do we have there? We have doubting God's goodness. That's what he's doing. He's trying to create that. That's his whole idea. And then he will, will hit head on. After she gives the answer, she gives an answer. Serpent said to the woman, you surely will not die. What, what is die? What is death? Look in chapter 217. You know, you think about it. This is what God had said. But from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, you shall not eat. For in the day that you'll eat it, you will surely die. So Satan comes back with this idea. You, you, uh, the command is you must not eat from the tree of knowledge of good and evil. When you eat of it, you shall surely die. Now, is that as clear as it gets? I don't think you can get it any more clear, can you? It is up front. There's no room for discussion here. This, But God, how about if I just had a little taste? <laughs> no, it's just the way it is. So it, it's clear. Satan is trying to get a contradiction here, what God had said. Oh, you know, Eve. Taking the fruit wouldn't be an instant poison. I mean, die. What, what, are, you, what are you saying? You're, you're not going to die. Come on, you know. To die, that's not true. This, you know, he doesn't mean that. We know that death physically didn't immediately occur, did it? But spiritual death did occur on the spot as Adam and Eve then partook of that fruit. Hundreds of years they lived after this. Deadly fruit. Didn't look poisonous, did it? Matter of fact, it looked good. Good for food. Pleasant for the eyes to look at. It must have been a beautiful fruit. Springtime. You see the flowers. How can it be bad? It's so beautiful. And then you stick your finger into that thorn as you're planting that rose. <laughs> ah! I got an armful here. It's like I have tattoos. <laughs> it's a, I got all sorts of marks on my arm. And that's silly, Rose. It looks so good. I asked Carolyn, I said, you know, she says, I didn't think we'd have all of these, these roses out here. It's not that we have that many, but she's never really been big into roses. And I said, is it, is it because it, it sticks you? She goes, exactly. Satan says, you must, you must have missed it, Eve. You know, what is death anyway? She's never had any experience of death. She's never seen any animals die. There's never been any death. It occurred right here after disobedience and deception. You couldn't have heard it right, Satan says. God has said, you should not eat from it or you die. That's what... Eve had said, I, I think I got it right. You know, that's what she says. What's die? Serpent comes back. There's no death. Surely God is good. God is gracious. God is kind. God is a wonderful God. God has given you all of this. You surely, 
You don't understand his graciousness. Look all this that he's put out here. He's not going to kill you. You're not going to die. That's ridiculous. You must have misunderstood, Eve. You just, you don't have this right. What he, what he wants here is Eve out of God's hands. He wants to wrench her in his own hands. Well, you see, he wanted to be like God, as you remember. In Isaiah 14, Ezekiel 28, we get the ultimate pride where this angel Lucifer who is also known as Satan. It's like he led worship of God. He was in a high position as an angel. But he didn't quite get the praise. He didn't get praise like God prays. I mean, he was part of praising, but he wanted that, right? He wanted to be like God, and that got him thrown out of paradise, now you've got the first two humans. What does he want to do? Get them thrown out of paradise. How do you do that? You know what he, he knew what he was doing. He wanted to get her out of there. She doesn't understand the motivation of Satan whatsoever. He's trying to rip the soul out of the hands of God. He's trying to damn a soul here. Eve thought, oh, you mean if I do this, I'll be like God. Oh, I adore God. He is amazing. And yes, I want to be like God. Well, we are to be like Christ as Christians, aren't we? I mean, there's no higher calling than to be like Christ. She wants to be like God, it's being stated here now. The goal of my life is to be like Him. That's what God is doing. He's taking the image that's been stained of man and now He's making our image back more like Christ. And one day that will happen ultimately. We are becoming like Him though. So she saw, after all this, the tree was good for food. Got my interest going. It was definitely a delight to the eyes. It was beautiful. Very desirable because it would make her wise. She would know more than she does now. Well, certainly she would know, and he would know, good and evil, but not from the holy viewpoint of God. We know good and evil is something that we experience every day. We hear it. We see it. It's all around us. You turn on the news and you see the wickedness that's going on, the murders, and everything that is just totally backwards from God. Yeah, we know about that, don't we? It's a shame that it happens. Mormons teach that you will become gods. That's what they teach. You will become, as God is, we will become. God was once like us, and this God, look, he progresses. So as you learn more about Mormonism, you find out that's the whole goal of their religion, that a man become God, 
and his wife, the one that he chooses from Earth that to be with her, now will populate a planet from here to the rest of eternity, and they'll keep progressing as gods. So Jesus is just like us. He's a spirit child, and uh, that's the idea. Sounds good to a lot of people. You can say, how can that sound good to a Christian? Anybody that has a truth says it's absolutely ridiculous. Sounds like some ridiculous fairy tale. Science fiction, doesn't it? Well, from what I understand, millions have bought that lie. Well, she did eat. Thing is, John MacArthur says this, and, and I'll, I'll put his name on this. She ate, and probably the single greatest commentary on the stupidity of man, when it says she gave also to her husband with her, and he ate. And then MacArthur said, and that stupid guy wasn't even seduced sexually. <laughs> he was not deceived like her. He disobeyed. He knew what God said. He was not deceived. We read the passage in Timothy. It was Eve who was deceived and not Adam. So what did he do wrong? He disobeyed. He knew. God had told him right up front that Eve got alone. I'm not giving her excuse, but there she is somehow alone. I'm not necessarily saying that's wrong, but there's got to be some time when they would be alone. And But she's out of the protection of her head here. If he was there, maybe he would have been able to say, hey, yeah, God did say that. Uh, let's go, Eve. But it didn't, it didn't work out that way. So he's not deceived. She's deceived. They're both responsible. And the fall of man has happened. And that's why we're not in a glorious position today. That's why the things are happening in our lives and around this world. And we wonder, why is that happening? It always goes back to there, doesn't it? That's why we die. That's why we die. That's, that's it. You can say, why did God allow that to happen? He could have held back that tree there in the middle of the garden, couldn't he have? Well, that's where the questions are aimed at. And kids who think about it enough will probably ask, well, why do we have sin? <laughs> Where did it come from? And we all ask that. We've all asked it. God could have kept it from happening. Yeah. Thing is, he didn't. Was he out of control? I mean, did he not have control about this? Absolutely he had control. If he doesn't, then we're all in a quandary, and what are we doing sitting in here? What are we doing worshiping God if he's, if he's not the Almighty? Amazing thing. There were a lot of reasons why that did happen, but he never tempted anyone. He is not responsible for sin. Eve, uh, Eve actually said that uh, when God asked her, what are you, what are you doing? And what did you say? I, I was deceived. That's true. That's true. Of course, devil made me do it, right? Uh, she's still responsible. He's Adam's responsible. And so we go back to our Corinthians passage now. We went to our text that Paul is borrowing from. We took that much time to do a half a verse. Why was Paul afraid? Same thing that could happen to the Corinthians is what happened back in Genesis. Same thing happens all the time, doesn't it? 
by his craftiness, your minds will be led astray. So he got Eve, Satan did, to disbelieve God's word. That was what he was after. Minds led astray. Paul saw that this was happening. Could happen very easily. Now how did Satan do all this? He, he led the mind astray. We, we saw how that worked, right? He confused her thoughts. She answered correctly. He comes back. Remember how cunning his is. His questions are very cunning, very sly. And that's when Paul says in verse 3, your mind should be led astray. I'm afraid that your minds are going to be led astray. They had the truth. The word is noema. That's the word for mind. It's the word for thinking. That's the place where our perceptions always have their beginnings. The foundation, the very origin, comes from our thinking. Wrong thinking can lead us astray. Does that make sense? If we don't have our minds focused on what God says and then keep it focused then what are we going to do as sheep? We're going to be going astray. The doctrines of the Word of God. The focus in these verses is the seducing of the mind. The enemy can take us and be very rational with us. And hey, this is what this is what I got to do. Yeah, this is right. Okay, we don't know it's him. If it was him, you know, no way. I'm not, anything he says, I'm going to do the opposite. The thing is, all of a sudden, we start mulling over in our minds, start justifying things, and matter of fact, even justifying even even if a scripture comes to us. But if we haven't been in the Word of God, we haven't been hearing it. All of a sudden, how are our minds going to start thinking? Remember what our nine minds were naturally. We have been converted, but we have to keep on renewing our minds daily because of the enemies, not only the devil, but the flesh and the world is out there beating on us all the time too. Eve was led astray by the cunning argumentation of the serpent. He's a king at that. Paul is thinking the minds there in Corinth may be similarly seduced by the trickery of these teachers, the rivals of Paul who had come in. Our minds can think wrongly. That's why it's so good to be in the Word of God. It's, it's good to be around preaching and teaching of the Word of God to constantly remind us. Otherwise, we can start thinking things that sound good. And yes, I'm spiritual and I'm in the Word of God and everything's going fine. And it doesn't take long at all. Because every time you sin, you are being led astray. That's how it works. Our, we, we thought wrongly when we sinned. We weren't focused on truth. Led astray, diverted, corrupted is the idea. Thero means to destroy, to seduce, to ruin. What's Paul saying? Two things. It's your mind that is led astray. It was Eve who decided to act on the serpent's advice. 
was first the mind. It really never was her will until after she started thinking that way. It was not God's fault. And we want to blame others. And we saw Adam and Eve both blamed others. And Adam was blaming her. It was the woman that you gave me, right? We want to blame personalities. We want to blame circumstances. It's all, it's all them. It's all her. It's, it's, all, it's him. That's why I did this. We play the victim. We're victims. No. It's our own thoughts. They entertain. They start tasting. Temptation overtakes us, overwhelms us. We're doing things that's causing myself to stumble, others to stumble. Do we care about that? We can't blame anyone else. And that's led astray. Second point is Paul saying, you're not the first person to be deceived. That's what he's telling the Corinthians. <laughs> this happened before. Matter of fact, it's happened all the way through mankind. Uh, they had the Spirit of God, didn't they? If they're Christians, they did, didn't they? So he's saying, if the minds of our first parents who were absolutely innocent with never any sin before this time, when they were in the Garden of Eden at the best possible place that humans could be at that time, and they blew it. What about us? One of the enemy's tricks when we're struggling with temptation is to get us thinking that we're unique in this fight. Oh, I, I'm doing okay. I'm doing fine. We become beaten at that moment. And so he says, we'll be led astray. When you're led astray, you go one way and then it's to something, right? The wrong thing. From something. From the simplicity and purity of devotion to Christ. That is what it's about. Hoplites. You guys, seminary class that you have, it's called systematic theology. That word uh, you've come up with. And it means simple. Now, not like a simpleton, but simple, holy, devoted, sincere. Does that sound right, Luke? That's right. That's that word hoplitase there. From the simplicity of Christ. Following Christ. She got confused. She was in the simplicity of Christ, Eve was. But then another word came that challenged the word of God and what happened? She became confused or deceived. That's how he works. Boy, he's pretty good, isn't he, at doing that. He's not good. He's good at what he does. The Greek here is a wholeheartedness toward Christ. And remember, I had in the title, devotion. But our devotions can be challenged or tested. Devotion to Christ. The Christian life is simple in the sense that here's the truth. Follow the simple truth. It's profound, but it's very simple in loving Jesus Christ supremely. You would never want to do anything to offend Him. 
to do anything against his character. He's Savior, he's Lord, right? That's the simplicity of the wholeness of the gospel. And then purity. Be led away not only from simplicity, but the purity of devotion to Christ. Purity. The bride-to-be. See, Paul already mentioned that in verse 2. What a brilliant way to put this out. He had to be inspired by God's Spirit to put this out. Verse 2, verse 3. Do you see how those things are put together? That's incredible writing. It was really by God. He's the one that put this together. The whole analogy of the bride, the bridegroom, leads to purity, simplicity. But something comes in the way that wants to divide our devotion to Christ. We want to be devoted to Christ. Philippians 1.21 For to me to live is Christ and to die game to live we're living right now it's Christ everything about our life is Christ 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 in everything Christ right he is everything devoted wholly devoted to him that's the simple life devoted to Christ knowing what his word says there's part one let's go to part two and it's found in verse four Chapter 11, 2 Corinthians. Now that he's set this up, the betrothal, then the deception of Eve and how that could happen there in Corinth, and it was happening. And he says in verse 4, If one comes and preaches another Jesus, whom we have not preached, or you receive a different spirit, which you have not received, or a different gospel, which you have not accepted. You bear this beautifully. Counterfeit gospel. Counterfeit Christ. Counterfeit spirit. I've got it there, counterfeit gospel. The enemy came into the garden. Came into the Corinthian church here, the enemy did too, Right? They were from the outside, just as Satan came from the outside into the Garden of Eden, the paradise of God. They were uh, maybe something like the Palestinian Jews. Maybe they come from there. Maybe that's who these guys are. They sought to bring the Corinthians under uh, correct teaching. Paul's got it all wrong. So they came from uh, possibly the Jerusalem church. They were in a sense Judaizers wanting to bring Jewish customs, but yet those guys that you'd heard of in other places, they were trying to do the circumcision thing and legalism and all that. Not these guys. Actually, they're kind of from the other realm. They licentious liberties. Um, it was the rhetoric that, that they had. It was philosophy. Culture is really what they were presenting. 
and they claimed to be super apostles in the sense they were much further than, than Paul. And uh, being representatives of the church of Jerusalem, well, of course, these guys would be the elite, wouldn't they? Paul's not from Jerusalem. So they really were saying that Paul's a fraud. If he's a fraud, then everything that he's taught is a fraud. And it's more than just one. And, you know, and I'm saying that this is they, and you know, I think there's more than that had come. And this is a real situation. And so he says, for if one comes and preaches another Jesus, it wasn't uh, like an if that this might happen, that this could be a possibility. Um, he's putting this forth, and, and it really means this. they are there. But if, if, if this is the situation, here, and here's what it is, um, they had come in on their own, and uh, the Corinthians had given these people the pulpit. Gave them the right to teach them now with their lies. Not too unlike how Satan works, is it? Satan was right there in the room teaching them. They came and preached another Jesus whom Paul had not preached. This is not the Jesus that Paul had preached at all. So you have intruders coming in here, don't you? You know how you can always tell error of the, the cults? Well, have uh, an idea of what Christology is. Study of Christ. Know who Christ is. Know his person. Because they're going to come in saying they're Christians. They're going to use the name Christ. They always do. Otherwise you'd say... All the other religions are wrong. Jesus said he's the only way. Well, these guys, they don't deny Jesus. That's what's tricky about it. Only thing they do is they just corrupt who Christ is. Mormonism believes that Jesus is the spirit child of God. And so we're all of us. Just like Jesus was, we all are, you know. And, and uh, we'll grow up and we'll have our own little planet and be God of that too. So he's just one of us. He's no better than us. He came in the flesh. He was a spirit child of God. We're all spirit children of God, they say. We're all creatures. He's a creature like us. Jesus is a creature. Uh-uh. If you talk to a Mormon and say, do you believe in Jesus? Yes. Do you believe that, uh, that he walked on the flesh here? Yeah. Do you believe he's God? Oh, yeah. Oh, really? Huh? Most cults don't even like to say that. Well, remember their view of what God is. Um, he's another Jesus that they invent. Didn't come up from God. This is another Jesus. This is not the Jesus of Nazareth. This is a made-up Jesus. This is an idol. Um, today, even Roman Catholic and Protestant and mainline religious bodies are saying that modern exegetes, expositors, the word, all the thoughts that you might have out of the New Testament, they'd say, there are many Christologies, not just one Christology. And that's why they can accept all the religions of the world because 
we don't have the market on Jesus Christ. Everybody else does too. Philosophical language that they would use with that. Metaphysical modes that were being brought out from them and their reasoning and rationing. We today do not think in those kind of categories, but the cultist, this is the way that they will operate. And, uh, of course, they, they can do it by um, taking terms. And we use the word incarnation. It means one thing. He came in the flesh. Well, incarnation can mean a lot of things for all of us, as the rest of the people of the world will say. British man says, are we sure that uh, the concept of incarnate being, one who is both fully God and fully man, is after all an intelligible concept? Uh, it's not. We don't have Christianity, huh? Can we, under we can't understand the depth of what... It it's a heart of our doctrine, isn't it? So a different Jesus. We have the Jesus of Nazareth, the Jesus of the Bible. That's the only Jesus we can have. Can't be any other, otherwise it's idolatry. A different spirit, it says here in Corinth. They preached another Jesus, they preached a different spirit. Now what spirit had they received? The Holy Spirit. The Corinthians, if they were believers, had the Holy Spirit. Lived in them. They received now they're receiving a different spirit, not that the Holy Spirit turns into something else, but we're talking about this is delivered in a different spirit. False teachers are coming with a different Christ under the power of different spirits. And you can take it all the way to demonic spirits because ultimately that's where all false religion comes anyway. The angel of light. Any other religions, they're really invented by Satan and the demons. It's demonic. And as a result, that's how you get a different gospel. A different Jesus, a different spirit, a different gospel. You receive one spirit. That was the Holy Spirit when you believed. And now, are you going to have another spirit come in and you be under the power of that? Look in Galatians chapter 1, verse 6. right after our 2 Corinthians. I am amazed that you're so quickly deserting Him who called you by the grace of Christ for a different gospel. Which is really not another. There's not different gospels out there. Right? There's only one gospel, but there, we get the idea of a different gospel. Only there are some who are disturbing you and want to distort the gospel of Christ. But even if we or an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel contrary to what we have preached to you, he is to be anathema, accursed. As we have said before, so I say again now, if any man is preaching to you a gospel contrary to what you received, he is to be accursed. Wow. That's how serious it is. He says, you've already defected toward another gospel. Now, could these be true Christians? 
That's how far it can go. If possible to deceive even the elect, Jesus said. People can go so far of buying in some things that are not right. And he says, which you have accepted, you bear this beautifully. You've put up with all this. They're the people that, let's be one. Let's have unity. Let's just love everybody, right? He says, you, you bear this beautifully. It's, isn't, isn't it amazing? Shouldn't they have thrown those guys out once they came up with a different Jesus, a, a different gospel, a different spirit? He says, you put up with it very well. You accepted it. You just took it all in. You have no problem with accepting a false Christ with a seducing spirit and this damning gospel because that's what the Galatians letter was about. And now we take it back and we we read that verse 3 of 2 Corinthians, but I am afraid. And we link it with this verse 3 and then verse 4. We know why Paul is afraid Sure, I'm afraid. I'm afraid for you. I'm afraid for you, Paul says. And that's what um, the shepherd, he was a shepherd of this church. He hears this, but he's a shepherd of many churches and getting them started, even though pastors would come in. His heart bled uh, in, in a spiritual sense for them because he doesn't want people to go outside the realm uh, and to to go out on their own like Eve was and then to get deceived and be led astray and to be taken from what we know is devotion to Christ. And so there is verse 3 and 4. And, you know, you look at that and just a couple of verses... But I think it really sums up where Paul was at, why he wrote this letter, why he did. There's still more to this letter, uh, but we've now gotten the very the punch line to it, if I can say it that way. Uh, we, we hit where he was really aiming at all along because he really cares, he really loves them. Uh, and he wants to bring them to Christ in a, in a pure way. Anyway, that is not only good for the Corinthians back then, 2,000 years ago, but it is also for us as we want to uh, bring glory to God in all of our ways. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your truth. And it's good for the Corinthians. It's good for the church historically, it's good for us to be reminded of the war that we're in and knowing that the enemy would love to tear us down. He'll never take our salvation away, but he would sure like to take rewards away. He would like us to, to doubt God whenever we know that his character is as good as can possibly be for eternal aspects. And Lord, we thank you for this, that it would help us in our own walks. Uh, 
and knowing that you do all things for good and you're bringing us to the consummation we look to that day help us as we make our walks here on this earth what a privilege it is today to worship with your people it's been a glorious occasion in that sense thank you for your presence and in jesus name we pray amen hey we thank you once again for joining us we pray that this message would serve to edify you And we say goodbye until next time. May the Lord bless you and keep you and make his face shine upon you. Until next time.